Hello, everyone, and Merry Christmas. This is our Christmas edition of Bobby and Jens. And as we have done the last couple years, we try to get a guest that isn't necessarily in the world of cycling as much as most of our guests, but still has an amazing passion for the sport. Our guest today is the fastest guest we have ever had on the podcast. He has traveled over 378 kilometers an hour, which is basically 235 miles an hour in an F1 car, but is still yet to break 100 kilometers an hour or 62 miles per hour on a bike. Yenzi, who's our guest today? Today's guest of Bobby and Jens is Valtteri Bottas from Finland, Formula One driver and a very passionate cyclist. Not very often do we get to talk to somebody that has gone that fast, but we did ask him towards the end of what he wanted Santa to bring him and put under the Christmas tree. So I'm going to ask you that same question, Jens. What is Santa bringing you this year or what do you want to be under that tree? Well, the tree is up, decorated, looking good. Um, my wife uh, actually managed to build up the Mont Everest out of presents in the basement of my house. I don't know how she does it, but she builds up a pile 8.8 kilometers high out of presents in my house. So there's enough for everyone there. What would I wish for 2024? Hmm. Well, I guess... I guess, I guess, I guess more time, more time. That would be good. More time where I can just chill and do things I like to do. Nice, nice. You know what I'm looking for this year, which I never thought I'd say because I've been one of the, I think one of the only holdouts in this technology is I think it's time to move over to disc brake bikes. Disc brake brakes. Disc brake. Disc brakes. That is a big step, my friend. I can almost hear the angels ringing their little bells up there going, oh, we actually convinced another one to go to disc brakes. You will enjoy yeah. them. Not the squeaking noise, but you will enjoy them when you're brand new because they break so nice. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our conversation with Valtteri Bottas. All right. Welcome, Valtteri Bottas, to Bobby and Jens. Thanks for having me. Man, I tell you, this, this is going to be a blast. Um, we're obviously a cycling-centric podcast, and you're a longtime world-famous Formula One driver, but it's been your passion for biking and cycling that really motivated us to get you onto the podcast. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, yes. Where are you actually right now? It looks like you're um, somewhere nice and sunny at least. Yes, I'm in Newport Beach, California. Um, we've been here actually for a bit more than a week now. Uh, Tiff and his team had, they had a training camp here um, around this time. And uh, I decided I'm, I'm, I'll come here as well and do some nice riding. So I take it then that your first job this season is done. And now you have a little bit of off time, time to more time to spend on the bike. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. So obviously, Formula One is the main thing for me. But uh, yeah, close second is is riding my bike. So whenever I have a chance, whenever I have time, I try to get some good training blocks. And then yeah, next year for sure. Again, we'll do some some gravel events. So 
yeah, this time of the year is, is for the bicycle. Wow. Uh, you know, I lived in, in Nice, France for 17 years, and we saw a lot of Formula One drivers and MotoGP riders riding bikes on the Côte d'Azur because, I mean, the roads are, for me, the best, some of the best roads in, in the world. But what actually drew you into cycling in the first place? Uh, for me, already as a kid in, in Finland, it was way to commute to the school. So it was like a bit more than three kilometer route one way um, to go to school um, and always like meeting friends with bikes, you know, playing around. So it was always kind of part of my life. And also when I finally started like systematically train for um, racing cars, um, always doing some cardio was part of it. So I did some cycling, I would say, before I met Tiffany. Um, my partner, who's a professional cyclist, I will probably be riding my bike once or maximum twice, twice in a week. Uh, but that did change eventually then. Uh, so a few years ago when we met, I got just much more of an insight to the sport, you know, in, in all aspects. Um, and yeah, one motivation for me, for me, for sure, was trying to keep up with her. So I had to do some riding <laughs> if we wanted to ride together. Um, so now it's really, it has become... You know how it goes with bikes and once you feel that you're improving you know your, your standard hills doesn't start to feel hills anymore you know you you get faster you get stronger it's just quite addictive you know and also with bikes consistency is the key in training so that keeps me on my bike because i want to keep that good good form and, and good level you started early with um car driving or motorsports with a karting the bike Did you ever as a kid have time to try other sports like Scani or like you from Finland? So how's your skiing? Uh, do you play ice hockey? You tried any of that before? Yeah, I did. You know, it's sports in schools in Finland is really popular. And it's nice thing that we can have summer sports, but also good winter sports. So actually for me, uh, my, like I would say second favorite sport after racing carts was uh, ice hockey. So every winter... When obviously all the good go-kart tracks were covered by snow, uh, I had to do other sports. So ice hockey was always the thing. So I played about 10 years every winter. And um, and also, yeah, cross-country skiing, everything. That's normal education for, for a kid in Finland. So, yeah, those were probably the biggest things I, I did. Uh, I did try football also as a kid, but then that was taking my time away from karting. So that was a no-go. So. Well... I, I have to ask this question because here in America, American football is huge. And I'm a huge Denver Broncos fan. Um, and I knew that back in the day, we had this, this very famous quarterback called John Elway. And he wasn't allowed to ski. And he lived in Colorado. And I mean, let's face it, Formula One is a, is a dangerous sport. But the cars and equipment have adapted to protect the, the drivers, you know, quite massively over the last you know decade or so but outside of the helmet in cycling there's very little else as far as protection goes do you have any thing in your contract that limits the amount of time that you can spend on the bike or the the racing that you you do or are they just totally happy with you staying fit thank god no there's no limitations <laughs> um i think it's it's fine as long as i don't break myself up during the season, you know, so obviously I, I do need to have sometimes some extra caution. And if I do gravel racing, then yeah, I try to 
try to be sensible, you know, not, not trying to be, be the hero in certain corners or situations. And obviously there's always the element of not o o always everything is in your hands, you know, things can happen, but uh, the team is, I think they see how much I love it, how important for me it is for fitness, but also for me, I've explained that it's also mentally really, really nice thing for me to do and kind of escape the F1 world a bit sometimes. And, uh, yeah, have other other things to do. So they've been, they've been actually supportive of it, and uh, also like with my partnership with with Kenny and, and and SRAM, the team is aware of those. So then you know they can't anymore bail out. Let's say so. <laughs> so um, in, in cycling, um, cycling for you, is it freedom? Is it for your mental stability? Is it building up fitness for your job? Or all of it, or is it just pure fun to be out there? I think it's everything that you just explained. Like for me, it's definitely freedom. Like especially when I travel, and I mostly travel even to the to the races, F1 races with with my bike, so I can actually see a lot. Like um, if I have a day off before things start, is great way to explore and and see places. Um, and with a bike, you know, you are the master. You can. You can decide where, where you're gonna go, so that's that's kind of cool aspect. It's fun, especially gravel racing is is great, good fun, um, and that fitness aspect of it for sure. Like it definitely gives me fit and gives me good good endurance, and also mentally, I feel like it's for me is a great way because Formula One world can be really really hectic. Like when we have back to back races or triple headers, even one single ride between those kind of hectic weeks and, and days can really reset your mind and and um you know get your feet back on the on the ground again and understand the big picture of the world you know so it's it's all of those for me so we we all know that you guys basically have a traveling circus of massive amounts of equipment so do you just chuck a bike or two in each truck or how many bikes do you actually travel with when you go to different parts of the world so in europe um it's easy because i in all the european races i stay in like a motorhome normally as close to the track as possible so i have a bike there so all the europeans i'm sorted but then it's the flyaways so i normally travel with a with my bike one, one single bike with a bike bag so yes there has been cases that sometimes you know bikes do get lost but uh, i've been I, I think quite lucky this year. So, ninety-nine percent of the time, I've got my got my bike. Uh, there's only a couple of races that I don't take the bike, which is also kind of Tiffany's off season. So that's normally around Mexico, Brazil area, which anyway, like in the middle of Mexico City, riding wouldn't be that great. Um, and same in Sao Paulo; it's a huge city. So, um, yeah, those two places, I I, I also get my break um, off of the bike. So now, um, for normal people, a bike is a fairly precious and expensive piece of equipment. I mean, of course, it's probably a tenth of the price of your car. But do you pack your own bike or you go to the mechanic, hey, if you can make this $200 million car ready to travel, you can also take care of my bike or you pack it yourself? <laughs> I, I, I do pack it myself. So um, I've I've learned... In the last few years, quite quite a bit about bikes and <clears throat> how how they work, and yeah, I don't mind packing it myself. So, um, but yeah, uh, you know, I've been lucky that uh, 
all the stuff I do do with Canyon and and with Stram. Any events that we we do, like gravel events, there's always great support. Like, yeah, if there's a bit of uh, squeaking or or noise in the gearing or whatever, there's always you know support from those. So then, then I'm happy to hand it to the professionals. And when it comes to bike builds, then I let the, the professionals do to do it. But uh, fine adjustments or small fixes, I can do. So. <laughs> And in your cycling training, um, I think Tiffany said that she helps coach you. Um, is is Tiffany your coach? And and if so, are you kind of like a, a numbers guy? Because we know that Formula One is endless data streams and constantly looking at numbers and stuff. But how is that? How are you, how are you taking your your cycling part of it? Yeah, you know, I've been actually many times. I'm I'm still sometimes thinking about it. Like, should I have? a very specific training program for cycling and should I have a separate professional cycling coach, but I still haven't made the decision because I'm, I'm scared that that takes that freedom aspect out of it and maybe slightly the, the fun out of it. Cause I've had some friends that, yeah, they had like a training block with just, yeah, full on program following everything, you know, for every single what, every single minute, <laughs> but, uh, for now, I've decided to kind of yeah take the guidance from Tiffany. She's got obviously lots of experience from long time working with different coaches. Um, she knows what works for her. I've got to also figure out what works for me. So I, I still freestyle a bit with the training and go go quite a bit with the feeling. And especially in season, time is the limitation for me, and also the recovery. So I need to kind of listen to my body and. Uh, do what I feel like I need to do. So for now, I've been, yeah, you could say Tiffany is my coach, um, but myself as well. Do you, uh, or when did you recently have a moment where uh, Tiffany is just rolling her eyes and going, I told you, like, check the tires or put some oil on the chain or in terms of clothes, maybe she told you, hey, get your gloves on. It's going to be cold. You, nah, it's not cold. Do you have still moments where Tiffany goes, oh, I told you not to do this? Um, yeah, there's been some very recently, um, probably something to do with gloves because she always joked that I have precious hands that my fingers get very cold easily. Um, so yeah, then if I complain that the hand, pants are freezing, then she's like, yeah, where's your gloves? <laughs> I have gloves. Should so, have listened to me, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, a good, yeah. like a good partner. You should have listened to me before. Yeah. yeah. You know, things like that. Um, or not having a vest when you go up the mountain and then, you know, it's going to be cold coming down. So stuff like that, there's always something, but, um, I'm getting better at, yeah. There's less and less things that she can roll eyes on me. So, <laughs> I'm curious: is there anything that you've learned from cycling that you've brought over with you to to F1? I mean, two totally different sports, but just curious if there's anything that you learned in cycling that that you kind of brought over to to the track. Um, probably. Well, I've I've seen very close by like how top level endurance athletes, how they live, you know, how they train. And I've actually um, learned how much a human body can actually take, you know, if you do the training 
right and in, in the right zones, um, you can actually take your body quite a bit further than than you think in in training or or in in racing if you're if you're tough mentally. So I've for sure come up with, from cycling. I've definitely gained lots of endurance. So you know, in the more physical demanding races, which are like example super hot, super humid. I know that I'm, I might have an upper hand to most of the competition, if if not all of them, with the, with the endurance. So probably the endurance side is something I take. But um, then also, I, I think the teamwork side is is <clears throat> same but different because in Formula One, you know, we we do work together with the teammate, but also we are you know racing against and sometimes even for for the seat, you know. So that's different in cycling because in cycling there are proper, proper teammates. They are really working together. So um, that's something that's um, quite inspiring many times when you see how the team works. And I try to use that sometimes as an example that, yeah, example in, in my F1 race, if I ended up for some reasons on a wrong strategy or something, and I have no chance to get to the points, then I might as well try and do the best I can for my teammate, because I feel like eventually that is going to come back. And that's actually how it has worked with me and my my teammate Joe. That there's been events that, yeah, I've ended up helping him, you know, whether it comes to strategy or something, and and then vice versa. When he's so, seen that okay, he's got no chance anymore, then he's all in trying to help me. So that kind of things probably I've taken from uh, from the cycling world. And I believe there's a few other F1 pilots, they, they use their, their bikes. Um, Alonso or Charles Leclerc, I believe. You ever go riding together with them or you share tips about training routes or where to go? Or you go, nah, I race against you tomorrow. I don't want to see your face today. Or how is that uh, going? Um, I haven't actually been riding with any other drivers because, you know, yeah, some people live in, in Monaco, but then also there's people who live elsewhere. Everyone is in different schedules, especially, and also the race weekends. Everyone has their own <clears throat> own team commitments, so it's hard to really find the time. Honestly, that's the issue. But I, I've had had some chats about cycling, yeah, with Fernando for sure. He used to be really big into cycling. Now a little bit less since his um, accident a couple of years ago. He broke his jaw, so I think he's taking a bit easier on the bike. Uh, and also Lance Stroll, he's uh, he's quite into riding a um, bit more mountain biking maybe but sometimes on, on the road so we do have some chats but yeah no no group rides yet in the, in that community that would be pretty cool seeing you guys out there doing laps around the circuit are you actually i've seen a little bit of this but have they frowned upon you guys actually riding bikes during you know on the circuit like uh during during recon are you guys allowed to do that still We, we are allowed. It's only they changed the rule that there's one specific slot normally on Thursday morning for like track walks only. So that means that yeah, you're only allowed to be walking the track because there might be some service cars and stuff like that still going on. So that they want to avoid anything speedy on track. But then always Thursday night, the track is free to ride. So that's normally my my recon time is get a, get a few laps in. We'll be right back after this short break. Now, back to our chat with Valtteri.
so on a bike, you go down the track at, let's say, 30, 40, maybe on a downhill, 50, 60 kilometers an hour. What was, personal interest and for our listeners, what was the highest speed you ever hit in any sort of car? Uh, F1 car that was in Mexico quite a few years ago. It was 370. I might need to Google 370. It, 376 or something like this. I, I believe it's still, it should be a world record. So <laughs> I believe that too. Yeah. <laughs> With an F1 car. And, and what about on the bicycle? How fast have you ever gone on a bicycle? Have you ever... With, Check that. with bike, I still haven't cracked 100 kph yet. I've been just under a few times. I've been 90 something. So um, that's still on the list. So I'll, when I see the hill, if the wind is right, I always go for it. So, <laughs> But I may, might need to do it in altitude. Obviously, there's thinner air so you can get to higher speeds. But hopefully this um, cycling season, I'll crack 100 kph. So that, that's a goal then, 100. Did Tiffany crack to 100? Your partner, did she crack to 100? Did you ever talked about that? She haven't, so I want to be the first one. I think she, she's been also just like under. So, yeah. The game is Jeez, on. I, I, <laughs> I raced professionally for, what, 17 years, 16, 17 years. And there was only, I'd say, twice in my whole career that I went over 100. And most of that was like you know, 60, 70, 80, after 80, you can start to feel it. And then you look down and you're going 90, 95, and you crack that 100 mile, uh, kilometer per hour barrier. And it was just instant put on the brakes. Like I do not need to be going <laughs> this fast, period. And well, it's funny. I was, rim breaks. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, yeah. I'm still on rim brakes, by the way. Don't make fun of me, but, uh, soon, okay. soon I'll be converting over to the, uh, the old disc yeah. break, but being old school and whatnot. But yeah, it's funny how that, that changes. Like now, once I get over like 60 K an hour, I'm already like hitting the brakes as if it was a hundred K an hour. So I think it's just, you know, getting, getting older and stuff, but you know, so you, oh, maybe wiser. you, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yes. Maybe a combination of the two, but, yeah. you know, talking about some of these gravel events that you did, uh, that you've done, you did the steamboat gravel this year and finished in the in the top 20 how serious do you take these events that you do in terms of personal results are you there to participate or are you there to like absolutely go to your maximum yeah so steamboat i did the the blue course which is not the the full full for me crazy distance the black course but blue was still solid it was 160 kilometers um a de decent route um so for that that race i was actually very happy to be like top top 20 was uh, was really good for me and yes I, I do take them seriously like it's just natural like if i have a goal um if i enter a race it's automatic that uh, something happens in the brain and yeah it's it is i'm gonna gonna be always going out there challenging myself and trying to make most out of it whether it's result whether it's um tactically or whether it's average speed yeah I, I try to go go all in um and i don't mind hurting myself like uh i kind of like it so um yeah i i do enjoy it but then like i did the gravel europeans in in an age group and that was 
I went to slightly unknown territory and it actually felt more like a spring classic race instead of a gravel race. So that, that I had, I did have a bit more open mind get it going into it, but I finished somewhere in like midfield and I, I was riding around the midfield for, for the most of the race. So that was, um, interesting experience, but like there's few events that, yeah, for sure, like example, rattle gravel that we are organizing with, with Tiffany as well. And with, um, Amy from SPT, um, that's one in January, then Finland gravel, which is June 15th, which we are part of as well. And then hopefully SPT as well. So, um, those three, at least I'm, I'm going to try and have a, have a good results. And actually, sorry, one thing. I can, I can reveal you that I, I try to, I will try to qualify for the gravel worlds next year. So that's my goal to qualify oh, for the Wow. Asian. That is so cool. We actually had all three of your team in the podcast. We had uh, Tiffany, we had Amy, and now you. And Amy yeah. um, asked me, hey, if you have time and you can plan it, maybe I see you in June in Finland. That would That'll be, be nice. I've never been in yeah. Finland, and I really would love to see it. So maybe we have a chance to ride together. Be gentle with me because I'm twice as old as you and I'm retired, my friend. Okay. <laughs> no, you would love it. That, that course is amazing. It's like really, really nice gravel. Um, yeah. Beautiful views and the event itself is going to be even bigger and better than the, than the first one. But Amy told us that down in rattle gravel in Adelaide there, that it's actually going on during the, um, the 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 tour down tour under down under right yeah how close where is it in your season where you'll just happen to be um down there in adelaide are you is that close to a, a grand prix no so actually it's in january um around mid-january so that i'm gonna be there anyway still so we are going to australia for christmas and tiffany is from adelaide so it works perfectly Because yeah, I'm I'm there anyway, just before finishing off my holidays, let's say, or cycling season. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's uh, that's the plan. So it's a, it's a great timing for that. And actually, what makes you more nervous? What feels more sketchy? Riding, let's say, 50 kilometers an hour with 200 unknown cyclists around you, or being in your car and doing 300 kilometers an hour? What makes you more nervous? That's a good question. Um, most likely still on a bike in that kind of situation, because I know that I don't want to, you know, hurt myself because that would be probably the last cycling race I would, I would do. <laughs> um, I'm sure the team would, you know, tell me off if I would break a bone, let's say. Um, so yeah, probably also the element that on a bike, you really don't have any protection apart from your your helmet and your one millimeter lycra on your skin which really doesn't do much so <laughs> yeah that's the difference so and also still cycling is still a more unknown sport for me than driving a race car so um but yeah normally as long as i'm in control i'm fine but uh, if i feel like i'm not control of the situation whether it's about the bunch or some sketchy rider, then I do get more, more nervous on a bike. Well, like I said before, I lived in Nice for a long time and I never even went to the Monaco Grand Prix. It wasn't that 
you know, I don't want to go all the way down to Monaco for that. And uh, but obviously during the pandemic, at least over here in America, everyone was exposed to the Netflix series Drive to Drive to Survive. Um, that educated us on what you guys do, but I'm more interested on the stressors that driving the car that fast actually do to your body. Um, back in the day, Tony Rominger was a, a, a very famous cyclist that lived in Monaco and was friends with all the Formula One drivers down there. And he told me that your guys' heart rate is super high throughout the whole entire um, Formula One Grand Prix. Do you guys actually wear like wearables and, and, and track your heart rate? And if so, like what, what are like your average heart rate during the entire event? Yeah, it really depends of the of the race. You know, it's um, there's elements of the track layout, how physical it is. Normally, the more there is like high speed corners, the more physical it is for your body because that generates more G forces. Um, then there's the heat. The heat is a big thing because in the in the in the monocoque in the car itself, it's a lot hotter than the ambient temp because you have certain electrical boxes around the car. If there's a car ahead of you, you have the heat from that engine. You have the heat from your own brakes surrounding you. So there's quite a bit of stuff that creates a heat soak uh, in the in the low speed stuff. So it's combination of heat and the track. But the most physical traces, races, um, example, Qatar this year was extreme heat, humidity, and the track is physical. So I would have been pretty close to my threshold uh, all through the race. Um, that's how it felt. But we don't actually have variables because they are banned. There's anything that has plastic or something that is not fully, fully fireproof, we can't wear them. So there's been still no sensor for us that we can gather data uh, that is allowed. So that's controlled by the FIA. So, um, but I have pretty good feeling on, on my heart rate and on my body. So. Some races, I would say, um, the easier ones could be as low as maybe 130 average heart rate, but then the tough ones can be up to one, 170. So it just depends on the conditions. I would have like a, a double question on that. A, yeah. how do you train for that, for this two hours intense all-in <clears throat> moments? Um, do you have like a heater in your gym to make you sweat more, to make your body better adapted to the heat and second part of the question do you feel that with all the riding the endurance you build up your heart rate average lowers by five to ten beats per race do you any experience of that yeah so how do we train for it it's obviously <clears throat> of the most hours i, I train is, is with, with a bike so in the end having a good endurance having good cardio system in your body it, it does give you an edge, you know, especially as the race goes on and on. And the better, um, you know, you'll be able to max your fitnesses. You can also then deal with the heat versus somebody who's already beyond the threshold, you know, on their, their endurance. And that's going to hurt way more. Um, I think I'm lucky that all my life I've been exposed to saunas. So that's a pretty big part of Finnish culture. So sauna is... Uh, is a natural thing for me. And I, I feel like I've always been good with the heat. Like I do sweat a lot, but that's actually a good thing because that means your, your body is really trying to cool down. So I don't, I don't really mind the heat. Um, 
and yeah, heat training itself. Yeah, sauna is the is the one for me. But in the end, it's all about hydration and and the pure fitness and pure endurance. And about the bike, yes, I I definitely feel like my overall endurance has improved, and that way my heart rate is probably now lower in the car than it, it was, let's say, five years ago. So I, I do feel like, um, yeah, I can be a bit more um, efficient, let's say, with my with my body. Well, I think pretty much every one of our guests that comes on, it, it, this topic comes up of of fueling, and you know, fueling for a bike ride is is has changed as Tiffany probably has has schooled you on. Like, there's a lot more consumption of of carbohydrate than than ever before. But when you're in that car and it's hot and you're sweating, do you guys actually fuel during the event? And if so, like, are you putting in some sort of glucose carbohydrate mixture in, into those, into your, into your drinks? Yeah. <clears throat> so we do have a drink system in the car. Uh, every team has their own solution, but we have a system that is maximum capacity that we can carry is 1.35 liters <clears throat> and it's basically a drinks pipe that you kind of need to need to need to suck to get the, the fluids out so it's um it's all, always attached in the helmet so you can always access it um so before the race i, I tried oh again depends on the conditions completely uh before the race normally i i, I do have certain routine of, of fueling in terms of the fuel food and, and fluids um electrolytes and then in the car um i've actually pretty much settled into i use morton uh drinks so i have the morton carp uh, drink in, in my car and depending how physical it is going to be i try to adjust a, a bit the the strength whether it's the the is it 321 which is like rocket fuel or the 160 which is um, a bit more normal let's say but i feel like it's it's really good for the stomach and in the car, obviously that, that helps. So that's been my, my uh, solution for, for the last year and seems to work well. And I believe you got to be permanently multitasking in the car, right? Controlling, like looking forward, controlling the race course, shifting gears, checking the wear of the tire, checking the wear of the brakes and so on. Does your box tell you, Hey, Valtteri, have a little drink. You're on a straight line. You got two seconds to drink or you remember that automatically or all of that comes from your team because they sit in an air-conditioned, cool room and they can control things a little better than you in your hot little cockpit, right? I, they don't. They don't need to remind. It goes automatically. Like I've, I think very earlier in my career, I did have you know on the pit boards. They would every 10, 10 laps they would put a sign drink just as a reminder if I didn't. But now it is automatic, and uh, also the cars they are getting actually a bit hotter nowadays than that what they used to be because there's less airflow going into the car so you also feel like you you want to drink so <laughs> but the key in the car with obviously so many g-forces your stomach is turning around is to have like tiny zips pretty much every lap so normally on the longest straight of the of the track i have less like a tiny mouthful every single lap that's the way to do it because if you try to drink too much too too quickly it's kind of hard to digest because of the G-forces and bumps and everything, you know, so. What are, what are your physical sensations after a Grand Prix? 
I mean, is it physical exhaustion, mental exhaustion, like that eyeball sort of headache from the concentration the whole time? And is that at all similar to what you feel like when you finish a gravel race? There are there are some similarities in terms of how, how you feel. <clears throat> Obviously, some, like I mentioned, some F1 races are less or more physical than the others, depending on the conditions and the track. Um, but the tough ones, you feel, yeah, pretty, pretty wrecked. And uh, quite often, the hot ones, yeah, you feel like you're, you're just overheating. You're almost starting to cook from inside. That's the, that's the feeling. Because um, the issue is the, the fireproof clothing we wear. We have this underlayer and then the overall and then the balaclava and then the helmet um, with minimal airflow into the car. So that's probably sometimes the toughest part. And you just want to cool down with an ice bath or, or something. Um, but yeah, you can definitely assemble the, the gravel race in steamboat. You can go into pretty deep places on a bike, you know, when you when you push yourself. And that was also a hot day in, in, in steamboat in altitude. Uh, the last hour I was cramping. I found muscles that I didn't know can cramp. So <laughs> I feel like on a bicycle, you can definitely in the end, you can hurt yourself more because you are the engine, you know, in, in the car, we do have an engine um, to, to help us. So um, last year you did grow a mullet, right? And it was kind of like a fan favorite. Is the mullet going to have a comeback with you? And the reason why I ask and I smile, um, when I met my wife, young kid, I had a full on mullet, like, Nice. picture book mullet and my wife liked me with the mullet so you know i always <laughs> like people they are in the same boat with me so is your mullet gonna have a comeback it's kind of there it's uh, i need a bit mm -hmm. of a trim but, but the style is there you know so um yeah for now still rocking rocking the mullet for for next year but also with with me i don't know you never know what's next but but, <laughs> but uh for now mullet and mustache i, I kind of like so no big plans on that that to change anything so. do you have any pictures of you and um, Jens I'm quite curious to see your palette um I should maybe somewhere on the phone I look like a German Bundesliga soccer player <laughs> <laughs> but you know cyclists complain and work around having to go from say North America to Europe or Europe to North America, and everyone complains about jet lag. But I mean, looking at your series of races and the parts of the world that you go to, um, I was paying specific attention to when you guys did the Grand Prix in Las Vegas, and then like a week later, you were in Abu Dhabi. What are your tricks about getting over jet lag? Because obviously, you have to deal with it a heck of a lot more than most cyclists do. Yeah, it's, we, we travel a lot and it, it is sometimes quite extreme. Like that last part of the season, it's, yeah, from, yeah, actually it was like 12 hour time difference from Vegas to Abu Dhabi plus the Vegas race was like a night, night race. So it, it actually felt like even more. And you could see from all the team members that, yeah, they are starting to struggle. Um, there starts to be more illnesses within the teams you know people are getting easier sick because they're tired so it is tough and sometimes there is no magic bullet or the magic trick again i feel like your overall level 
or fitness, it can help you to go go further. And even with the jet lag, it can help if you are in a, in a good shape. Um, but then otherwise, the key for me always been go to the location as early as you can. Like sometimes it's not possible with the with the commitments, but in the end, is I feel like it's it's time that that cures it. And the worst case is coffee. So uh, getting to for me, it's getting to those daily routines as quickly as possible from the first day. You know, wake up when you when you have to have your coffee when you normally have have it. So your body knows it's supposed to be morning and same with the eating routine and exercise. I feel like exercise, like light to moderate exercise can be pretty good cure of jet lag. Um, but it's also easy to overdo it. Like if you arrive to a location, you feel like, yeah, you want to go for a big ride immediately. It's probably not always the best solution. Maybe it's better to have like a recovery ride first and then check next day how you feel. So those kind of things, but, um, it, it still com com comes and goes in, in different ways. Sometimes I have zero issues at all. And sometimes I feel like, yeah, I'm actually starting to be a tired. So I don't think humans are just made to be traveling that fast. I think there's no real that solution. That is correct. Yet. Yep. I couldn't agree more. A question yep. I always was like in my mind. So you, you did your 376 kilometers an hour in, in Mexico, I believe it was, right? In a car that um, weighs 600 kilograms and does 850 horsepower. And then you finish the race, you shower, and then you, you get in your rental car, drive back to your hotel. How does that feel from almost Slow. being 400 kilometers an hour to go to a car with a 1.2 liter engine driving yourself to the hotel, not sitting in the center of the car anymore, but sitting on a like double seater in the front? How does that feel after a race like that? It You definitely, after a race, immediately you have a bit of sensation of, um, what's the word, like a um, speed blind that, yes, relative to what you just experienced, everything feels slow and you feel like you're at a, or, or that you're more aware. I think your, your eyes and brain does kind of get used to the speed. And then when you go slower again, it does feel extremely slow, but that's normal already. You know, it's, and for me being in, in the road car versus being in a race car, it's, it's also for my brain it's two separate things. It's, I can't really relate driving a road car to driving an F1 car on track. For me, it's just different worlds, you know, but, uh, but that is right. There is the sensation of being very slow <laughs> after an F1 race. More to that point, do, do you guys get a lot of, uh, speeding tickets? Nope. Actually, I no. haven't had that in my whole life. Um, I did have a couple when I was 18, which meant. It was on my first year of my license and I did lose the license for a month because of that. But actually I did get one earlier this year and I think that's about it. I haven't really had much otherwise. So, Cause I, I just yeah. envision, you know, like Jens and I, we go and do grand fondos and we're retired and happily retired. And these people kind of come up to us and try to race us. And every once in a while, our competitive juices will fire up a little bit and we'll kind of give it some stick. And then you're just like, no, 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 this is crazy. Do people like pull up to you at a stoplight or, you know, recognize you and then just kind of, you know, gun it 
and and try to race you when you're out on open roads it it actually doesn't happen a lot but there's been a few times it has happened yeah they notice me and they're like i think they get to their own f1 world and they start focusing on the start lights like it's a f1 race start you know (laughs) (laughs) but normally I'll, i'll let them go and let them be happy maybe it makes their day or a week so uh, <laughs> but like i said it comes back to uh, driving on a road with the normal traffic it's just it's just separate completely separate thing for me than than racing on a track so and um if you could ever go back and you'd be 10 years old again and somebody would tell you hey you could either become a formula one rider or a cyclist and maybe win the tour what would you choose actually would you rather win the tour de france or would you rather become formula one world champion or you go nah you cannot compare this that's a very good question i mean <clears throat> um uh, for me racing was always the number one thing as a kid like yeah i, I would i wouldn't change anything i would i would tell myself that keep doing what you're doing yeah you've done pretty well and um yeah i mean and i actually then if i look at the big picture of both of both of, of the worlds yes for sure with both worlds you need to make huge sacrifices but imagine the training hours and the physical pain of a tour de france winner what they have to go through so maybe i stick with the car still <laughs> <laughs> well that you know that makes me think you know you're you're this world famous formula one driver well respected and known all over the world um but who do you look up to or respect in the world of cycling other than tiffany your your girlfriend um of course you know all the the winners it's i, I do like example to the france i i do watch all the highlights um yeah the the battle last year was pretty epic for the win between Pocacar and Vindegaard. So that was really good to watch. And, you know, those two names probably that are up on my list. But then also there's like many really talented gravel races I've got to know. Um, I have huge respect for the gravel riders nowadays because the, the races are actually brutal. Like the races can be very long and almost like ultra distance. And I've seen them on the finish line how they look like after those big events and yeah like um yeah it's, it is impressive so there's always always few that i follow especially whoever rides for canyon i i tend to follow more so um yeah it's cool so you already told us that you might want to try to qualify for the world championships gravel next I, year I want, want to try, yes. Yeah. What else is in the cards? How much longer you want to do Formula One? You keep an eye on the IndyCar series, maybe, or you want to go rally driving, or go, hey, no, I'm just going to have another 10 years as a like pro cyclist. Well, what's the future? What's in the cards for you in the future? Um, I still love Formula One. I love racing in, in Formula One, and I still have goals in, in that sport. Like, actually, the previous season in, in Formula One made me quite, quite, um, I don't know, frustrated. It's maybe not the right word, but almost like um, it was motivating year for me that I really want to get back closer to the front because I really hate battling at the back if the car is not there. So 
now the motivation with the with the team is to try and try and get out out from from let's say the back or the midfield and get closer to the front and that's the motivation now i want to be back on the podium so i feel like i still have quite a few years in, in form one um there's many uh, there's particular alonso he's quite a lot older than me so the age is not an issue yet and for me the motivation either so yeah form one is still for the next few years ahead for sure number one thing but yeah then cycling is going always going to be there and uh, eventually one day i'll have more more time to ride my bike um, it could be a bit late to start a professional career but um, I'll, I'll keep challenging myself and uh, for sure doing more and more gravel events um, but then racing cars after f1 the beautiful thing is that there should be many options like once you've been in formula one long time uh, won some races you should have good opportunities um, in other categories and for me it's still that's that world is like wide open you know it could be indycar it could be supercars in australia it could be rally it could be whatever but the main thing is that i need to keep following my my passion and at that moment do what i feel like i want to do i think that's a big goal in life for me that to be able to really follow things that i want to do and what i have passion for well if you couldn't tell by my my sweater it's it's christmas what would you want to have Santa bring under the tree in the 2024 season for you on the on the track on the circuit? Mm, Santa could could bring me a significantly faster Formula One race car than what I had in the previous year, and actually, like with the development path, what I've seen for next year, everything actually looks positive. Um, like we as, as a team, we got many new people in the team from from different teams to different roles. And I feel like the the philosophy with the new car is quite different and it's different kind of concept. So I'm actually optimistic that hopefully Santa will bring me a faster race car, which means better results, which means more fun. Valtteri, we leave you in peace now to get ready for Christmas. Um, it was an absolute pleasure and honor to have you as our guest. Thanks a million for giving us the time. Talk to us. It was fantastic. And we wish you a Merry Christmas and a happy year 2024. Thank you for having me. And uh, likewise, everyone have a great, great holidays um, and great new year. Whatever the goals are, keep it up. Well, that's all our time for this week. Huge thanks to Valtteri for being our guest. Thanks for listening. Please don't forget to give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Velo production in association with Shocked Giraffe. This episode was produced and edited by Mark Payne. Remember to check out the video version of this podcast by heading to the Outside Watch YouTube channel. Get in touch with us on Twitter, Instagram, Threads, and Facebook. Just head to at Bobby and Jens and give us a follow. This week, we want to know what's the fastest speed you have ever been on a bike. 